0: critical weeks ahead in college sports, and a member of, in my estimation, Stanford's Team of the Year. Big things in store on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy And Thank you for joining us for it, Wednesday, May 6th, 2020. Hope you're enjoying your day so far, coming off a great Cinco de Mayo, my seven layer nachos once again the hit of the household and thank you for spending part of your time here with us we talk stanford sports and beyond on the treecast presented by the believe podcast network i'm troy clarity coming up later on in the show a couple of chats i think you'll really like the first with naomi Gurma, stanford women's soccer team captain i'm sorry i'm sorry let me let me redo that <clears throat> National champion, Stanford women's soccer team champion. She's from San Jose. She won the College Cup along with the rest of the Stanford Cardinal on her own home turf. We'll talk about that experience with her and, and what it's been like as a student athlete adjusting to some pretty unprecedented times. Naomi Gurman Naomi coming up in just a few minutes. And then after that, we will sit down with John Wilner, longtime college sports writer with the San Jose Mercury News read his stuff in the Pac-12 hotline, fantastic newsletter, and I'm looking forward to getting his thoughts on uh, what could be to come as a lot of meetings coming up around conferences around the country, including the Pac-12, and a lot of decisions are going to have to be made amongst uh, some folks who have the highest pay grade in college sports and really just in university uh, and academia, period. So we'll talk about all those things and plus get a little uh, look at the Stanford uh, snapshot, Stanford football snapshot with John Wilner coming up a bit later on in the show. Thank you again for being here with us. I'm Troy Clarity. 27 years of following Stanford football, six years under my belt as a play-by-play announcer for the PAC 12 network. Wish I had more to do <laughs> this spring, but it's been a great uh, bringing these uh, TreeCasts to you. Uh, big uh, major thanks to the Believe Podcast Network for uh, giving the show a, a different platform. I, I, I love the numbers that I'm seeing as far as downloads are concerned. I uh, Would love to see them higher, though. I mean, good start, but would love to see them higher. So, hey, tell a friend if you love the show. Uh, tell a foe if you love the show of, about the TreeCast. Uh, if you don't like the show, tell me about it. Best way to do it, hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast on TreeCast. Twitter, those are the best ways to get your thoughts on Stanford Athletics and the show over to me. You can follow me, of course, on Twitter, at Troy Clarity, last name is C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. Naomi Gurma and John Wilner coming up in just a few minutes, but first, three things you need to know around Stanford Athletics. Let's start with number (coughs) one. Well, and this isn't a Stanford Athletics news item per se, but certainly this item does affect Cardinal sports teams. Uh, Last week, as a matter of fact, just a few hours after we posted last week's episode, uh, Stanford President Mark Tessier-Levine announced that a decision on fall quarter can be expected sometime in June as far as whether Stanford uh, will be starting on time or delaying things, whether they'll be in-person classes or or online in any way, shape, or form. Uh, any combination of those are all on the table as well. Uh, Tessia Levine also noted that like the state of California, Stanford is planning to resume operations in phases. Now, clearly this has an effect on athletics because if kids aren't on campus, they can't train much less compete. Other schools have already announced um, plans to have in-person camp or classes or or at least they're planning on having Uh, in-person classes uh, for for their fall uh, seasons during their respective schools. But keep in mind, many of those schools are on the semester system, so they have to make decisions on a bit of a different timetable than Stanford does since it's on the quarter system. Uh, More on this, of course, with John Wilner, but uh, it does does bear noting that Stanford expects to make a decision on what it expects to do with its fall quarter sometime in June. Off to thing number... (laughs) And academic accolades just keep rolling in for Stanford student-athletes. Congrats to Stephen Moy, Eric Beatty, Kyler Presho, J.P. Riley, and Justin Louis of uh, Men's Volleyball for being named MPSF All-Academic. Congratulations uh, to those young men. Keep in mind, Men's Volleyball, uh, not sponsored by the Pac-12. They don't have the requisite uh, six uh, teams in the conference to be able to sponsor that sport uh, as a uh, conference by itself so Stanford particip- participates uh, in the uh, MPSF in men's volleyball kind of a tough season for the Cardinal uh, in that sport this year went 6-11 and 11. they did sweep then number 7 UCLA in February so a nice highlight for the Cardinal that year but uh, overall uh, certainly not uh, how they were hoping to uh, keep momentum going after a winning 15 matches in 2019 but congratulations to those five young men Uh, for winning academic accolades, which, of course, are kind of a thing at Stanford. Let's get to thing number three. You know, I was bumping around the GoStanford.com website this morning, and and I was uh, reminded of this. Uh, Props to Brian Rizzo and the crew for for, for pointing this out in the Stanford Athletics uh, Media Relations Department. But uh, I'd forgotten about this. Tara Vanderveer, the uh, Stanford women's basketball head coach, only needs five more wins to become the all-time winningest coach in women's college basketball. Tara has 1,094 wins, and the legend, Pat Summit, finished with 1,098 to top that list. Now, Tara actually could have had a shot at that milestone this season. Interestingly enough, win number 1099 would have put Stanford in the championship game in the NCAA tournament. So uh, Tara Vanderveer won't get a chance uh, to get that milestone win, obviously, this season. And so we'll all have to wait to watch Tara Vanderveer fill out her 1099. Sorry, I couldn't resist. And again, I'm a fan of the 1099, especially now. Those are three things. Well, I, I didn't have a vote and i'm not even sure it was a competition anyway but if if i did have a vote for the stanford athletic boards team of the year award my vote would have gone to stanford women's soccer what a season for them 24 and 1 11 and 0 in the tough tough gauntlet that is the pac12 and, of course, uh, winning the uh, big trophy and winning the national championship at Avaya Stadium down in San Jose. Certainly a cool moment, the highlight of uh, the Stanford sports season uh, for me. Helping to lead the way for the Cardinal this season and coming off of a sensational sophomore year, All-American the reigning Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, and was was also uh, called up to the full U.S. Women's National Team last November. Great experiences and great things ahead for our first guest on this week's episode of the TreeCast from Pioneer High School in San Jose and helping to lead the Cardinal to an 832-minute shutout streak. Part of the defensive backbone of Stanford Women's Soccer, Naomi Gurma, joins us here on the TreeCast. Naomi, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You got it. You got it. Fired up to chat with you. Always enjoy uh, watching you and the rest of the squad play. As a part of my duties, as a uh, as play by play with the Pac-12 Network, uh, watching you guys work was was certainly a thrill. It has been certainly over the last couple of years, but. But let's go back to the the recent past here. The last couple of months or so, I'd imagine that this spring quarter has been a little bit different than what you envisioned it would be. How have the last couple of months been for you since everything started to shut down?
1: Yeah, definitely a lot different than what we were expecting. Um, We were looking forward to getting in some spring games, um, finally getting on the field again. So um, we're disappointed about that. But I think our focus has shifted to trying to stay together and, doing our best to stay connected from home and doing what we can do given everyone's resources because obviously everyone's in a different circumstance. So I think we're taking it in stride and we're really like, we have team meetings and we have guest speakers. So really just trying to keep the team together and keep moving forward
0: yeah look i I went to stanford in the stone ages back in the 90s (laughs) i'm old so this video conferencing thing i've never been on zoom so much in my life this is a whole new thing to you to me maybe not necessarily to you how has it been interacting with the team over the last couple months and what's your read on, on the team morale right now
1: um team morale is pretty good we're we stay connected like we have film sessions with our coaches and we also do things with just the team which has been really nice just to try to like replicate the environment we would have at school. So I think obviously we're so thankful that we have Zoom and all these different things to stay in touch and um, it's definitely different but it's helping us stay together.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And, uh, and let's go back to last year uh, and let's even go back to a little bit before that because The 2018 squad was a super team on paper, front to back, rock solid. But we never saw that team on paper because I don't think really anyone, too many people were 100%. Certainly wasn't all hands on deck due to injuries throughout the course of that entire 2018 season. Still made the College Cup, got bounced by Florida State before the title game. How much did that 2018 season set the stage and fuel you guys for what you were able to accomplish in 2019?
1: Um, a bunch I mean I still think about that season so yeah definitely going into that season knowing we had a strong squad but faced a lot of injuries um, no excuses obviously but that hurt a little Um, so I think going into the off season before this 2019 season everyone was really committed to getting healthy for those who are injured and then those who are healthy just really trying to improve our game Um, and we kind of had a younger squad after that obviously losing like five big seniors so trying to step up like leadership wise and on the field just like getting our tempo back was huge so I think that season really pushed us to excel in the offseason before this past season
0: yeah no doubt about that and what were some of the, the the season defining moments in the run up to the college cup what were some of the moments that 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 stand out to you during the regular season as you look back at things
1: um let me think. <laughs> um, a lot to um, choose from. <laughs> okay, yes, yes, actually, I do know. Our, our, I think our loss against, we had one loss last season against Pepperdine mm-hmm. in non-conference. So mm-hmm. that was like, also that whole weekend was like such a big turnaround for us. And I think it was a blessing in disguise that that loss happened. And from that point forward, I think in every game we came in like with the most intensity and it wasn't just in games it also transferred into practice which i think helped us a lot so just that wake up call and like knowing that we like we can lose and we have to just like hold ourselves to that higher standard standard was really important for us going forward and i think if you asked the coaches or anyone else on the team they would say the same
0: Yeah, yeah. And you went through the Pac 12 undefeated, which obviously is no easy feat. That's the most difficult college, or the most difficult conference, rather, uh, in all of uh, women's uh, college soccer. Uh, You get through that, you get through to the NCAAs, and then you make it to the College Cup. You get past UCLA and then North Carolina. First half was a bit of a struggle. Second half. Things got really tight, and then obviously it went to extra time, and then penalty kicks at the very end of it. Super dramatic evening. Uh, what take take me through that night? Take me through that match as you remember it.
1: Oh wow, um, <laughs> yeah, I just remember the whole thing being a battle. Obviously, North Carolina is such a strong opponent, and we knew going into like the everything the College Cup, just how hard it would be, and especially facing North Carolina, who's known to be like an aggressive team we knew would be a battle. Um, so, yeah, we were just, I mean, first half you said it was like really tight. No one really had momentum. And I think we started to pick it up in the second half after like getting ourselves together at halftime and going into overtime. And I just think the thing that helped us the most was like our mentality and like no one on the team had any doubt that we weren't winning that game. And we had our home crowd behind us. So it was just an amazing moment for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, certainly a special night overall. And the th- the thing that I'm going to take away from that that evening, most of all, isn't just the game, which was which was amazing enough in itself, but was the celebration afterwards. Watching y'all on the pitch celebrate, and, and even more so, being in the tunnel between the pitch and the dressing rooms, and seeing you guys as a team interacting with the fans, celebrating with the fans as well. How special of a moment was that for you? You got a heck of an, of, of an ovation throughout that whole thing as well. Yeah.
1: That was amazing. I mean, I think also being from San Jose, it was so special for me because, like, I walk out to the tunnel and I see my whole family and I'm like, and that was just amazing. Um, And yeah, it was just, like, obviously we're so thankful to our fans in the forest at Stanford who have been with us the whole season and just being able to see them at the end, like, after we had won was just an amazing feeling. And all of the younger players who maybe want to go to Stanford, like, seeing them there was just great.
0: North Carolina was not an easy match, uh, but much of the season, you guys made it look easy. How much hard work goes into making things look easy?
1: Definitely a lot. Um, it's everything that you don't see like our coaches are doing, like preparing us and in the training sessions, like even if, say, the starters are resting, like people who aren't starting working like just as hard so that when they come in, they were making such a big impact this season, which is something that was huge for us um just like there was no drop off no matter who was on the field and I think that really helped us with injuries and like saving people's legs near the end of season mm-hmm. um so yeah just it was really an effort from like our trainers like our sports um our sports scientists everyone it was just everyone putting everything in really helped us yeah
0: you had a very nice Freshman season coming onto the scene and you really took things up several notches. at scene for your sophomore year. So composed as handling things uh, along the back line, one of the leaders along with, with, with Kiki Pickett as well, who I just love watching (laughs) interesting styles there, but you know, what, what were some of your biggest points of improvement? Do you think personally from your freshman to your sophomore year and what are some of your big points of improvement right now going forward?
1: Um, I think a big thing for me was like, um, just leadership and really growing into the role and I think my freshman year I could have done a better job of that and I think I, fo- I really focused on that during freshman off season, which kind of just gave me more confidence so that was I think one of the biggest changes for me this season and then going into next season I just want to keep improving upon that and like my technical skills and just really leading the team is I think very important and just supporting everyone around me
0: Katerina McCario gets top billing, rightfully so. The Stanford attack, uh, obviously so dangerous. That being said, how much easier do you guys along the back line make it for them?
1: Um, I think it's a two-way, you know, thing. Like um just them keeping the ball is huge for us, which obviously takes the whole team, but um, and also a big thing we focused on was or we would just win it higher up the field, which was nice for the back line, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in the back, just winning it as soon as we can and getting it up to them and having them go score some goals was great.
0: It's it's amazing because, you know, with, with all the star players on, on this squad, you know, yourself, uh, Kiki, Katarina, Sophia Smith last year, uh, all, all the fantastic players, I find it amazing. And I'm guilty of this as well. I forgot about the keepers and, and Katie Meyer in specific, and certainly she became yeah. uh, almost an overnight sensation it seemed because, you know, we, we rarely talked about the keepers. They rarely saw yeah. any action throughout the course uh, of the season. Uh, Katie Meyer obviously going to be in the fold very much uh, going forward, and, and she was one of the big reasons uh, why Stanford was able to hoist the trophy at the very end of it. What do yeah. I need to know about Katie Meyer that I quite honestly overlooked uh, the last year or so?
1: Um, um, well, I think soccer-wise, and this goes for also Lauren Root, our other keeper. I think mm-hmm. our keepers are huge in just organizing the team and honestly making sure that we keep the ball higher up and just making sure the back line is at the right level and just staying compact. So they do – I hear them in my ear the whole game. <laughs> they do a lot for us, even though maybe – they weren't necessarily getting the stats because we were keeping the ball, which we like, but yeah, they're huge, to the team. And obviously Katie made some pretty clutch saves for us near the end of the road.
0: Yeah. Incredible, incredible stuff for, from Katie, incredible stuff in Katarina Macario. I mean, the incredible is just, just the norm for her. Uh, is, do you just reach a point where you just see something that she does during the middle of a match or even see something that you do that, that she does uh, during even training or anything like that, where you just go, God, I, I just have not seen that before.
1: Yeah. I mean, Kat's yeah. Kat's amazing. Um, she's just such a special player and it's an honor to play with her. And I think one of the best things about her is that she lifts everyone up around her. Like, wow. She's obviously having those amazing performances and like, seeing how high her assists are along with her goals is like something that's not very common for a lot mm-hmm. of players. So yep. yeah, honestly such a blessing to play with her and just love seeing her do her thing.
0: Yeah. Forward of the year and and midfielder of the year as well. I think that tells you pretty much everything uh, that you need to know. You won't have Sophia Smith. She got drafted uh, toward to, to the next level. Uh, what can uh, folks in the pros expect from uh, Sophia?
1: Um, you know, so she's such a dangerous player. So I'm really excited to see her play. Um, she, I, she takes anyone on 1v1 and just plays such dangerous balls into the box and just, she's just so dangerous. And I think that that's going to transfer over to the pro level as well.
0: Yeah, major major weapon coming to mm-hmm. the pros. Looking forward to seeing what she what she can do. Uh, one of the things that, that you know we you know as a play by play announcer, you're looking for little snippets, little tidbits on players that you can sprinkle in during the course of a broadcast and you know mm-hmm. and in the course of my prep. Uh, and I I was I generally try to tell the story at least once a year when it comes to you when you make a big play and we're showing you on the shot. Uh, you know your parents emigrated uh, from from ethiopia and my understanding is that you got, you went back there and experienced ethiopia for a month and it kind of kind of changed your experience and kind of changed your perspective on a lot of different things uh, kind of tell me more about that and take me more uh, uh, tell me more about how that experience kind of shaped you informed you into, into what you are right now
1: yeah i went so i've only been back once which i'm which i wish i had been back more but it was like around middle school and um we, my mom took me and my brother for a month which was an amazing experience just to see where my parents grew up and just see the life there and i think it just put things into perspective for me cuz growing up here this is all i know and just seeing like the environment they came from and where some of my family members live and just like the blessings we have here was just it just put things into perspective kind of for the rest of my life and it's definitely an experience i want to have again and want to go back and see that but Yeah, it was just incredible to see where they came from and where they grew up and how different it is from where I've grown up.
0: Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff and amazing experience, I I would imagine. All right, let's wrap it up on this. Uh, Unknowns abound all throughout. We don't know if or when the fall season is going to get off, if it's going to go off on schedule, if it's going to be delayed a little bit. We just don't know that right now. So obviously still a lot of Mm -hmm. variables, still a lot of things left to decide. Given that, what's next? What's on your plate for the next uh, few weeks and the next couple months or so as we all try to get ready and hopefully uh, get back up to speed?
1: Yeah, um, just school, you know, online for all the spring. So have been working on that and just trying to get on any field I can around here and just really, I think I, we have like uh, packets being sent out from our trainers. So I think as a team, we're really, Just hoping to stay fit and just stay technical and just, I don't know, right now I'm preparing like there will be a season in fall. So just kind of doing everything I can to get myself ready for whenever everything reopens.
0: Well, I can I can say this, and I'm telling folks out there, uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch Stanford women's soccer over the last few okay. years, do yourself a solid, do yourself a favor. It is an absolute show. You will not be disappointed. Can't wait to see you guys take the pitch uh, next time, whenever that is. And of course, okay. one of the main cogs of that squad is Naomi Gerber. Naomi, thanks a bunch. Best of luck in the weeks ahead as you wrap up the spring quarter. Hopefully things are back up to speed and on time and responsibly by the time the fall rolls around. And uh, best of luck, stay healthy.
1: Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's the team.
0: That's the team, man. And if you, if you saw that team work, you know, <laughs> you know full well from back to front Katie Meyer and goal coming up for the Cardinal. And in its biggest moments uh, this year, Germa and Kiki Pickett love watching Kiki Pickett. It seems I, I've said this before. It, it seems kind of heretical to say this, but especially on a team that has Katerina Macario on it. But Kiki Pickett might arguably be my favorite player to watch on that squad. Just five foot. Maybe. But brings the thump along that back line and, uh, and performs so well. Naomi Gurma, so steady. Katerina Macario needs no introduction. And Madison Haley, on any other squad, she would be the star. But Haley coming through in some tremendous moments as well and absolutely unstoppable when, when she gets rolling. It's been fun to watch her development. Kudos to Paul Ratcliffe, the Stanford women's soccer head coach, and that entire crew for what they have done. And, uh, man, that's the team. That is the team. And if, uh, if it were up to me, if, that, if this was even an award, Stanford Women's Soccer would be the team of the year uh, for Stanford Athletics in the 2019-2020 Stanford sports season. Thanks again to Naomi Gurma for joining us. John Wilner from the San Jose Mercury News coming up in just a few moments. But uh, first, a brief note and a brief reminder that, look, Live sports, slowly but surely, they're coming back. Korean baseball organization fired up earlier this week. You got folks staying up into the wee hours of the night watching live broadcasts of Korean baseball. Folks are jonesing for live sports. But even though there aren't live sports, there are still things you can do to wager on, and they're out there for it. And when you want to do it, uh, choose betonline.ag. Use the promo code MYPOD100. Uh, Receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. So there's American Idol. There's their $750,000 poker series, uh, all sorts of stuff for you there, betonline.ag. Again, the promo code is MyPod100, betonline, your online wagering experts. Well, these are critical times for your friendly neighborhood college sports administrator and your university administrator as well, as the, the weeks ahead will dictate what we see in the fall if we see anything at this point. So a lot on the plate for colleges and universities across the country, the Pac-12, of course, in that, uh, in that uh, realm as well, and Stanford, of course, um, in that situation too. Here to break down and to help us take a look at what's ahead as we try to figure out and get some clarification on what could possibly be to come this fall, and also to take a look at, at Pac-12 football, a little snapshot especially from Stanford football as uh, things sit uh, from right now is a guy who I, I don't think there's anyone better who, who covers the Pac-12 scene I, I don't think there's anyone better out there he's been doing it for for years and uh, he has been fantastic at it and continues to be terrific at it uh, author of the Pac-12 hotline newsletter longtime member of the San Jose Mercury News and of course you can follow him on Twitter at Wilner hotline John Wilner joining us on the tree with Troy Clarity John appreciate the time as always how you doing I'm good, Troy. Thanks very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. It's a pleasure to have you in here and, uh, Hey, it's, It's spring meeting season. Uh, All around the country, conferences are getting together and getting their final game plans ready for the uh, upcoming sports season. Of course, um, things are a little bit different. The agenda is a little bit different as well. And the way that these meetings are being conducted, a bit different as well. Pac-12 spring meetings not taking place down in Phoenix uh, slash Scottsdale, but virtually now as uh, they're in the same boat that everyone else is in. Uh, at these spring meetings and in the PAC-12s in particular, uh, what's on the plate and what's at stake here is as conferences try to figure out which way to go forward?
2: Boy, you know, it's interesting. This is unusual. They've never had spring meetings quite like this. You know, they're going to deal with the standard topics, right? They'll talk about the PAC-12 network strategy and they'll talk they'll get officiating reviews for men, football, men's basketball, women's basketball. Uh, they will talk about budget matters. They will talk about you know, ways that they can uh, improve branding and, and uh, stuff with the TV partners, but over all of it is going to be the football season and the starting up sports in the fall and, and COVID. And they've been talking regularly. The athletic directors and the conference office have been in constant communication for the last six, seven weeks. This is just going to be another chance for them to, to assess the situation. Uh, and I, I don't know how much they're going to get out of it on that regard, because everybody's just kind of waiting, right? May is a waiting month here to see how things develop. And, and then we'll probably late May, early June, get to decision time.
0: Yeah, so many unknowns here, clearly. Uh, what, what knowns do we have right now? What knowns do the administrators have to work with as they try to figure things out?
2: Well, uh, the knowns are that they know a lot more now than they did a month ago, and so they're hopeful that by early June they'll know even more than they do right now. Right? I mean, that's the the known is progress, basically, in terms of understanding uh, coronavirus, getting you know a better handle on social restrictions and what works, uh, testing, tracing. So much of the football season is going to depend on that stuff because if they can't test the players, they're not going to, you know, they can't have them congregate in a locker room or on a field. So a lot of it's going to depend on the development of testing and tracing over the next Month
0: or six weeks. Yep, testing and uh, tracing so critical. It's uh, K- Korea and Germany have done very well in those uh, departments, and uh, the Korean baseball org- organization getting back on the field yes uh, uh, earlier this week. And yep. Bundesliga apparently uh, ready to get back on the pitch within the next couple of weeks. So I wonder what lessons can be learned from that. Um, anyway, uh, if there's no football, you would think if there's no football then you would think that there would be no Olympic sports, no men's and women's soccer, no women's volleyball, none of the other fall Olympic sports would be able to be a contested as well.
2: Uh, is it really that simple? No football, no fall Olympic sports as well? It's a little bit complicated in terms of when they need to have everybody report for their various sports, right? And it's complicated because uh, there's semester schools and there's quarter schools. And it's complicated because different states are moving at different paces, right? That's something people have got to remember is to a certain extent, the universities are taking their cue from what the governors and the state health department officials are saying. And that's different across the whole PAC 12 footprint. So there are many layers of complication, right? And the Olympic sports versus football is, is part of that kind of at the, at the baseline level. I don't think that they would, only allow football players on campus to start training and tell soccer players, no, you can't come on. Uh, You can't start your training camp. I don't think they'll do that. I think it would be a case where it's safe for all of the fall sport athletes, or it's not safe for any of them, but they're only going to do that if it's also safe for students. If they, if they're saying we can't have anybody in, in the classroom, we can't have anybody in the dining halls. We can't have anybody in the dorms. They're not going to just bring the athletes back. They, they can't do that. That's not right morally. And, and there's no indication that the conference would be willing to do that. What extent are they going to allow students back on, you know, half capacity, full capacity that I don't know, but it's all kind of got to move in lockstep
0: which adds another layer to this because clearly all these different states are moving at different speeds they have different approaches to this some are yes. some are completely reopening some are still staying shut down as long as they possibly can and this is going to have domino effects on the respective universities in, in in these in these different states so given that how much unity do you think needs to be shown especially amongst the Power 5 conferences because look you know the SEC was was hinting last week at well, maybe we don't need everybody on board in order to be playing. Well, that's not exactly the way you want to go, obviously, but how how, how much lockstep does everybody need to be in order for this to be pulled off responsibly?
2: Well, I mean, that's the, that is the question, is what's going to happen four or six weeks from now when certain schools or certain conferences aren't as far along as other schools? And nobody has answered that. They don't want to have to answer that question uh, but that's kind of hanging out there, right? Because clearly the South is moving more quickly at lifting restrictions than, say, the West Coast is. Now, if you're going to have – you have to have unity for non-conference games. But you can outline a scenario where there isn't unity, and so the the non-conference games are canceled, and they just play – Pac-12 just plays nine, nine conference games, for instance. I think that they could – that's what happens if the unity breaks down is the first step is, all right, well, we're just going to go to conference games and see if they can make that work. But nobody really knows. And that's the big question, because clearly the 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 commissioners have all been on the same page to this point. And I think the commissioners will stay on the same page through May and into June. But, boy, you get to mid-June and they've got to make a decision on bringing the athletes back for training camp. And if the University of California system, for instance, is in a different place than the University of Florida system, you can easily see how there's going to be uh, conflict in terms of parties and logistics. And then who knows, right? They do have the option to play conference only. That's that's kind of the fallback. Yeah, TCU is supposed to come out to uh, Berkeley to play Cal in uh, early
0: September. So uh, TCU is ready to get on the plane, but uh, we're not ready uh, out here in the Bay Area. That could throw an interesting uh, monkey wrench into things. And, and that kind of takes me to the next step here because, look, let, let's say, you know, the SEC is somehow able to get 11 or 12 games in while the Pac-12 is only to get nine in or other conferences only play a, a conference-only season. It certainly affects how you can pull off a playoff, right? Because you can't judge teams by different criterion when they have played different numbers of games. So I'd imagine that the playoff has to has to weigh a little bit here in the ultimate decision making.
2: That is uh, another great unknown is what happens with the playoff if if there's an imbalance in the schedules. I mean, who knows? The, you know, the, the SEC would probably want all four teams in you know? Uh, <laughs> really? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, they, they've had trouble figuring this scheduling out when everybody's playing 12 games. And imagine if, if the PAC 12 is playing nine and the SEC's playing 12 and the, the big, tw- big Twelve's doing, you know, some version of that. Yeah. Nobody knows, but that's obviously hanging out there and there's tens of millions of dollars at stake. And, I would not want to be on that committee this coming year, that's for sure.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly. And I, I saw a quote from uh, Bob Bowlesby, the former Stanford Athletic Director, now the Big 12 Commissioner, when he joined uh, Sirius XM Radio last week. And he said he admitted that he wasn't exactly concerned about the start, when to start things. He was more concerned about whether things will be able to finish, whether they'd be able to finish up the
2: football season, whether they can even get a basketball
0: season going on time. Uh, how much of that is
2: a concern at this point? I mean, I think that, I mean, that's clearly on their minds and all these schools are modeling out different scenarios. And one of the ones they're modeling is uh, an interrupted season that maybe they get in six games and they have to stop and restart in January or moving the whole thing back to January and playing for three months. Then they're, they're modeling all of them. You certainly, you cannot discount the possibility that, you know, you get to late October, especially in Northern climates and it's getting cold and flu season starts to hit. And and the virus comes back and they got to shut it down with, you know, with, with six or four, six games left. Absolutely a possibility. And then you're talking about the logistics of trying to play startup again in January, where it's going to be awfully hard in big 10 country and big 12 country. Right. So they're, they're plan they're trying to plan for everything and hope that that doesn't come to that. Uh, But there's so much money at stake. And there, you know, so many athletic, uh, so many Olympic sports teams are depending on the football revenue. Employment matters on uh, football. With football, I mean, there's so much at stake that they will do whatever they can to get the season in, and that certainly means playing with no fans. I mean, I've heard a lot of athletic directors say, "Oh, if it's not, if it's not safe for the fans, it's not safe for the players. It's we play for the p- fans." You know, I mean, that's all out the window if their choices are no season or a season with no fans, they'll, they'll play for sure. They have to play because they can still get their TV money. So, uh, but there's, um, you can kind of get into the wormhole with it, right? The possibilities, uh, different conferences, possibilities, different schools, different seasons, different schedules. It's a wormhole. And uh, I do think the one thing to be sure of is that early June is really a key benchmark. Because that will tell us – they need to pretty much know by then if they're going to have these players report, you know, late July, which is what they're going to need to do.
0: <laughs> I'm suddenly having visions of, uh, of Clemson at Boston College in late January, and it's uh, 10 degrees outside and three feet of snow on the ground as it gets a little wintry in New England, and uh, <laughs> that could – that's 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 something to think about, and I'd, I'd rather not spend too much time on that. So let's let's move to on the field stuff, and uh, let's talk about Stanford football. Uh, went four and eight last year. Injuries the main narrative and the main reason why we saw many of the things that we saw. Uh, what's your snapshot of Stanford football at this point? What's your what were your main takeaways from last year, and what do you think the Cardinal is sitting right now?
2: You know, I think that uh, if you had told me before the season uh, what the injury situation would. Be, would have been like I would have probably figured four or five wins you know because and a lot of that has to do with the combination of the injuries and the schedule I mean ridiculous SC on the road and then UCF on the road is ridiculous if you're healthy right uh so you know you have to take the schedule into account for sure you have to take the injuries into account for sure but do those two things alone get you all the way to the the performance that we saw over the course of the season. I don't think they do. I think that there's still, you know, there's still some missing pieces there. There, the talent is not as good. You know, the running game's not as good. The talent's not as good. They don't have the mentality, the mauler mentality on defense from the front seven that we used to see with, you know, the, the scoves and the Thomases and the Henry Anderson's and the, the David Perry's, you know, they don't have a David Perry, you know, and, uh, I think that that's a that's a big problem, too, is just the lack of physicality and talent on both lines of scrimmage.
0: Yes, yes. My kingdom for a sideline to sideline linebacker, a guy like Scove, a guy like Blake Martinez. We haven't
2: seen anything like that for the car. Absolutely. Recently, unfortunately. There, there, it, it, it's a talent. It's, it's a it was a schedule issue, an injury issue and a talent issue.
0: Kind of along those lines, we're coming up on David Shaw's 10th year as the head coach at Stanford, and his success unparalleled, certainly in the Cardinal coaching lore, the all-time winning Stanford coach, three Rose Bowl appearances, two wins, and some fantastic teams along the way. How would you sum up David Shaw's first nine years as the head coach of the Cardinal, and what do you think uh, the immediate future could hold for him, at least for the next couple of years or so?
2: You know, it's interesting, because... He, there is certainly this uh, drop-off compared to the first five years when Stanford was, you know, w- winning so many conference titles and going to the Rose Bowl. And so I think it's a real – this is the real key stretch here, this two or three seasons in terms of the, the future trajectory. Can they kind of, you know, uh, retrench and get themselves, you know, back up where they're – the win in the division and win in the conference? uh, Or are we now seeing a fallback to, uh, you know, a certain level of mediocrity where it's eight wins one year and then six, and then maybe nine and seven, Um, you know, closer to Stanford's historical norm, really, over the sweep of 125 years, whatever it's been. So I think that this is a real interesting stretch here. And, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with recruiting. There's no doubt about that. Uh, part of it, I think, has to do with Shaw making sure that, you know, there's there's a freshness to the program, to the way he goes about his job, to the way his, uh, his staff goes about its job. That's a really hard thing for head coaches, whether it's Shaw or anybody else. If you've been in a place for six, eight, ten years, maintaining that freshness is very difficult. And we've seen a lot of really good coaches, you know, you hit, you hit that stretch and it's tough to re regenerate that energy and freshness. You know, I don't think it's unfair to, to draw some comparisons to what happened with Cal under Jeff Tedford, right? I mean, Cal didn't have as much success under Jeff Tedford as Stanford has under David Shaw, but you know, Stanford didn't have the SC behemoth sitting there at that same time. But if you look, Tedford, they were so good for six, eight years, and then it got tougher and you get compared against your own success and you get into your routines and, you know, competitors surface and the division dynamics change. So it's, it's really a crossroads and and it'll be interesting to see in the next two or three years uh, where things uh, how things evolve. And certainly you got to wonder a little further out, is Shaw going to decide he wants to see what he can do in the NFL? You know, I have never thought that the NFL was a sh- a chance or that he was interested in the NFL uh, for the last six, eight years. And I still don't think he really uh, is, but I think that you can see that becoming more interesting to him, you know, three, four, five years out. You know, you mentioned Cal, and I had Yogi Roth on the show
0: last week at the Pac-12 Network and got his thoughts on this. I want to get your thoughts on this, too. Uh, the Bears are kind of a trendy pick to win the Pac-12 North. Yeah. Are you following that trend as well?
2: Uh, I think that they are – I mean, I don't know that I'd call them a trendy pick. I think they've got a legitimate chance. If they can keep Garbers healthy, they've got, they've got a good chance. Uh, you know, and part of that's because Stanford's struggled a little bit. Uh, Washington is in a transition also you know, and, and they, if they can just generate some, some reasonably consistent offense and keep Garbers upright, I think they, yeah, they, why not? Right. I mean, I almost picked him. I picked them to finish second to Oregon, uh, but I certainly considered Cal. And I think that, you know, Wilcox is perfect fit for them. A lot of the same ways that David Shaw is perfect fit for Stanford in terms of you have a coach who understand what it takes to succeed at that school, the with the unique characteristics that that school has, and recruit to a system that that works uh, at every level, there there's certainly some parallels there. I think Wilcox is a, a a perfect fit for Cal, and and they're gonna be very good. They're gonna they're gonna be a player in the north, and that's another example of the changing dynamics that Stanford is facing, at you know at this point, right? I mean, a lot of the Shaw success, uh, you know Washington was decent under Sarkeesian there for a while not great Cal was struggling there you know the division was kind of was kind of there and now we're seeing some some changes Mario Cristobal's got Oregon rolling and Cal is certainly ascendant we'll see how Jimmy Lake does with Washington but it's it's tough for anybody anywhere it is tough to win at a uh, title level you know, long-term, right? I mean, great coaches have failed to consistently win titles over the course of six, eight, 10 years because things change. This is a dangerous
0: exercise in May, even during a normal year. I I realize this, but especially dangerous likely now, but, but I kind of like to do it anyway. In in the Pac-12 South, USC, Arizona State, a lot to like, I think, about both of those teams heading into the fall. or Whenever we get this thing kicked off, uh, who who should I pencil in uh, to win the Pac-12 South at this
2: point? Yeah, I mean, I think SC is the team to beat. You know, certainly to me, there's some parallels between the North and South. Uh, you know, Oregon is probably the you know they're the team to beat in the North, and Cal is an interesting uh, challenger, and I think SC is the team to beat in the South, and ASU kind of qualifies as that, that interesting challenger it helps a ton to have a, a quarter a starting quarterback back. You know uh, if you look around the conference really ASU and USC are the only two that have got guys that have were starters last year and you can point to and say they can win games right. Uh, you know Davis Mills has that potential we'll see Dorian Thompson Robinson too at, at UCLA but SC and and uh, ASU have got advantages at the quarterback spot. SC's got 18 starters back you know they've changed defensive coordinators i think that's going to help them a ton uh they should be pretty darn good uh are they going to be playoff caliber good i don't know about that but i would i would pick them to uh to win the conference now that's a program that in some ways could benefit if there's no non-conference schedule right because they got alabama and notre dame (laughs) so but uh i think that they are they would be the best bet in the south Uh, with ASU uh, number two, just like Oregon's probably the best bet in the north with with Cal number two. Oregon needs a quarterback for sure, but, God, their defense is going to be so good. So it'll be interesting.
0: Interesting indeed. It usually is, but uh, this uh, this upcoming season could especially be interesting uh, down in the Pac-12 South. Hey, John, you, you know of any great places I can go, uh, great websites, great great newsletters uh, I, I can check out when I want, uh, great Pac-12 information, great college sports <laughs> information, any any great places like that that you're aware of?
2: Pac12hotline.com, uh, you know, subscribe to the newsletter, which is free. Uh, subscribe to the content, which is not free, nominal charge, 99 cents a week. Um, yeah, it'd be great. Uh, the more, the better, you know, we're, we're certainly uh, in a tough time here for, for journalism, but it's, uh, it's vitally important to subscribe for, to any local news content, right? Because uh, it's needed more than more now than ever. So I would encourage listeners to subscribe to the PAC 12 hotline, but also uh, any any local news outlet, it's it's just crucial that you do that these days.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Proud to have. Um, I second all that, and then uh, proud to have received uh, my latest edition of the Pac-12 Hotline uh, just about an hour or so in my email inbox uh, before we chatted, uh, John. As we wrap this up, uh, a, a fluid situation, so much in the air, so many different variables. But you know, in, in your mind, as we talk right now here in early May, what do you think is your most likely outcome for college sports? For August 1st, your most likely outcome for December 1st.
2: Um, You know, I'd say there's probably a a little bit less than a 50-50 chance that they're going to start on time and play a full season. I do think there's a very good chance that they will at least play conference games. If you give yourself September 1st through March 1st, for instance, as your window, I think there's an excellent chance there'll be nine Pac-12 conference games. Um, getting all getting a full 12 game schedule in from September through November though. I asked, I don't know that to me, that seems a little bit iffy. Uh, it's just, there's so many variables. You know, if we have this discussion a month from now, we will know a ton more because the universities will have had to make decisions on what they're doing about campus. And we'll have a better idea about the the testing and tracing uh, unless there is a vaccine that is fully distributable, I don't know how they're going to do any of this with fans, to be honest with you. Um, but that's, you know, that's – they'll still play without fans, right? $100 million on average in, in athletic department revenue for Pac-12 schools. Football is $80 million of that. TV is $30 million of that. Donations is basically another twenty-five or $30 million. So even if they don't have fans, they're still – they could still generate more than half of their revenue from football. And every dollar is going to count when you're matching it up against the, the expenses that are required for, for running an entire department. So we'll see. I'm optimistic that they will play, uh, but playing on time, boy, that's I'm not sure about that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, stay tuned. So many more things left to uh, discover and oh, discuss
2: and uh, to try. Just to, think uh, about how much Europe. more we know now than we did in early, early April. That's the thing, yeah. right, yeah. about vaccines mm-hmm. and treatment. And testing and tracing uh herd immunity antibodies, I mean everything has evolved so much in the last four or five weeks. Hopefully that progress will continue at that rate and by early June, you know the presidents and chancellors will will be able to make a decision that that we all want them to
0: make. Yeah, yeah, and and make a responsible decision instead of just uh, rushing everybody back uh, under the guise of uh, of reopening things. So certainly a lot ahead, and we'll certainly know a lot more in the weeks ahead. And one man who will be at the forefront of reporting it all, especially from the Pac-12 perspective and Bay Area College Sports perspective, is John Wilner? Check out his Pac-12 Hotline newsletter, and also follow him on Twitter at Wilner Hotline. Always a pleasure, John. Uh, can't wait till we're crossing
2: paths at a uh, media day or at a, a football game again sometime soon. Always appreciate the time. Thanks a bunch. Same to you, Troy. Thanks a ton for having me. And yeah, we'll we'll know more in a. Let's talk in a month. We'll know more then. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, yeah. Stay healthy, John Wilner, our guest on the Tree Cast. This week, really glad that he could take out some time to just kind of look at the road map ahead. What uh, what what's on the plate and what's uh, what everyone is thinking as they try to make the decision that they try to best make uh, to uh, do this responsibly and to bring back college sports in a safe and responsible manner. Testing and tracing go a long way. Hey, who knew? Intriguing thoughts, I thought, from uh, Wilner on uh, David Shaw. And where the Stanford program sits right now, as he, as he thought that uh, schedule and talent and injuries went against the Cardinal last year. To that, I'll add strength. And that's probably a function of, of the injuries that we saw because all of a sudden there were a whole lot more freshmen out there running around for Stanford uh, than, than certainly anyone planned. And those freshmen, by and large, do not have college football bodies when they step onto campus. So strength an issue as well for Stanford, too. And, you know, I, I think we started to see some, some positive steps in that direction in this previous offseason. You, you might remember our chat with Walter Rouse, Stanford uh, offensive lineman from last year, the freshman who stepped in for Walker Little and uh, played 11-plus uh, games as the starting left tackle for Stanford. Rouse gained 21 pounds in this previous offseason. He also stopped eating just fish. That, that'll do it. <laughs> You'll gain some weight when you start packing on the red meat as well. But strength and conditioning, such critical components of, uh, of, of not just football, but pretty much every sport on the collegiate level these days. I think strength also went against uh, the Stanford Cardinal as well. So a, a lot on the plate for the Cardinal, a lot on the plate for David Shaw. He seems to think that maybe... Uh, Wilner seems to think that Shaw might take a look at the NFL in the next few years. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, Shaw's always said, look, I know, I know at least one person in every NFL organization. I guarantee you, I am much happier than they are. And I think that means a lot to him. I, do I think that Shaw's going to stick around forever? No, no, clearly not. And it's impossible to think about that. But, you know, it, you know we'll, we'll see what happens over the, next, over the next few years. This is as critical a juncture as we've seen in Stanford football in what, 13, 14, 15 years or so since Jim Harbaugh came on the scene. So a lot on the plate for the Cardinal in the upcoming years. A lot on the plate for everyone involved in college sports in the coming weeks. Our thanks again to John Wilner for joining us. Our thanks again to Naomi Germa. Stanford Women's Soccer for uh, joining us on the program as well. Uh, you can have your thoughts heard as well. Anything you want to react to on the show, I always welcome it and I always enjoy it. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. That's the best way for me to see your thoughts. I mean, you, you, could, you could send me a mention at Troy Clarity on Twitter. Sometimes I don't see them. I don't see them all. So the best way to guarantee that I see your thoughts on the show, on Stanford Athletics, on anything that's on your mind, uh, hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast. Rate and review the show after you've downloaded it and uh, subscribe to it. Even more importantly, you can do that uh, just about anywhere you get your favorite podcast from. Uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts obviously has been tremendous and huge uh, for uh, the TreeCast since the very beginning. Uh, so many different ways that you can hear the, uh, the TreeCast and we are certainly grateful to the Believe Podcast Network for helping to make that happen happen. Check them out, by the way, at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. And we will come at you again next week. Thanks again to our guests, Naomi Gurma and John Wilner. And the biggest thanks to you for checking us out on the show. Don't forget, don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy. If you are in a shelter in place area, stay home. Heck, even if you're not in the shelter-in-place area, I would suggest that you stay home. Let's try to beat this thing so we're all on time by the time ball sports roll around. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for checking us out on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the
2: Believe Podcast Network.